Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling in association with Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. I'm Graham Wilgos. Brad, just you and me today. Yeah. And we're somewhere a little bit different, as you, you can probably tell if you're listening. Yeah, I mean, because obviously because of the year we've had with the coronavirus, we're obviously covering the Tour de France from Bath, our studios here. Um, and we're a week in now, aren't we? Week tomorrow. Seven so days, it's, it's gone crazy um, quick. It's just nice to get out of the building, isn't it? We've found a little wine bar and... Um, it just, yeah, we've kind of just a change of scenery for us more than anything. Well, it was supposed to be a transition stage today um, with the peloton heading from anything but, wasn't it? the massive Centrale towards the Pyrenees. As you say, anything but. We got an absolute barnstormer. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was really, it was great to watch the people that have become part of the fabric of this tour over the last few years. And there's not many left um, make the racing. And that's obviously, for me, you know, Peter Sagan. I mean, we, I mean He's everyone's hero, really. So it's hard not to like him, isn't it? Particularly with his interview at the end, where he was like, Frankling, which was great. I, mean, I love seeing interviews like that. And then it was just nice to see him back at the front, taking it looked like the old Sagan on the offensive. Bennett was out the back. Sagan's going for his green jersey back in the best way he knows how. And even I've been saying he's not looked his usual self. He's looked a shadow of his former self. First intermediate sprint, he was up there, gathered enough points. Then they took their foot off the gas, Bora, but they, they'd done a fantastic job up to that point. They'd done the damage with um, Caleb Ewan and all those guys. And then the sprint went horribly wrong for him and this, that and the other. But we, it was a tough stage today and we saw lots of action and lots of splits, lots of losers, lots of winners. But Sagan back in green, and which is kind of what we are so used to watching this Tour de France. Sagan back in green. Here's how Rob Hatch called the finish for us on Eurosport. There we go. Turns onto the right hand side and it's a tailwind finish here. Jasper Sturven in the white and navy blue, but it's all going to be led out for Edvold Barsenhagen, who'll try and win a stage for the fourth time. There goes Alaphilippe in the blue and white on the right hand side. Alaphilippe having a right old go. Alaphilippe about to hit the front, but it's still Barsenhagen. But here comes Wampanoag on the left. Wampanoag goes again. Wampanoag going all the way to the line and nobody can stop him. Just as it was last year, the wind blew in Albi and Fanart was the winner. It's done exactly the same to Lavor and Wout Fanart wins stage seven of the Tour de France. Nobody can stop him right now. The world number one showed just why he's that. So Brad, Wout Van Aert, indisputably the greatest cyclist in the men's peloton this season. Yeah, without doubt. Um, we were talking earlier, actually me and podcast Pete, about his rise to this level you know we, we all know him as three times world cyclocross champion you know the talent he has two stages in the Dauphiné last year um, the, the, the stage wins he had in the Tour last year the part of that team time trial but then the horrendous crash he had in the time trial on the, the time trial last and, year and it was horrendous I mean I don't think people quite give it enough emphasis just to, to how critical it was that it may have been career threatening 
And so he's rise back from that. I think he's gone 17 races now. 17 race days, yeah. One, seven, six or seven, is it? Eight wins. Eight wins, but that's Eight including wins. points. Includes, yeah, includes jerseys, yeah. And he's just a joy to watch. He's, he's beautiful on a bike. And um, nice lad as well. He, you know, he's... Um, He's just, he's just what the sport needed at the right time, I think. Yeah, he's, he's the sort of the new superstar, isn't he? The versatility of these wins. I know we keep talking I about say he's those. he's a superstar. He is a superstar in his ability and everything. But when he gets off the bike, he's not got the same charisma as Sagan on that. But he's just very humble, very gracious, not entitled, and really appreciates what he's done. And he, he's kind of taking it all in as we're watching it. And he is a superstar, but I don't know, it's not the ego, but just... The persona, he's a very balanced, level-headed, good athlete. Edvald Bosenhagen in second today. Let's have a word on him, because he yeah, seems like the, nearly man, the perennial nearly man. Funny. Of... I don't remember him used to, he sprints like he's on a pogo stick. Yeah. And I don't remember him used to, he used to sprint like that when we were... It's like his bike bounces. It's like he's not efficient at produ- delivering that power. And I noticed that more than ever today, and I don't know if that was the road or him, but it's like he... He's putting so much effort through the bike that it's not flowing like Van Aert's just joy to watch, isn't he? He's like a duck landing on ice. Is he an old, old teammate of yours as well, EBH? Um, GBH. <laughs> EBH. Oh, EBH, Edvold. Yeah, no, he was, yeah. I've known Edvold for a long, long time. He's, uh, he's just a lovely guy. You know, he's very normal. And, but he's got a bit of bit of about him on the bike. Um, and you need that as an elite athlete, you know. And he, he's um, a lot, you know, good bike riders all have a bit of about them because you, you have to have that because it's that killer instinct that ruthlessness but when you're off it you switch it off and you know Sagan in green the big yeah. winner today as far as the points competition is concerned but Sam Bennett found himself very quickly distanced after Bora's efforts early doors he won't be so pleased with his performance today no and the only thing I can um, gauge Sam's stuff because I've known Sam quite a few years watching race I've raced with him this and the other I always see him as a, as a progressive rider but I sit next to Sean Kelly and see him during the day when I'm running this morning. I see him sat in that commentary booth all day, like engrossed in the racing, even when he's not commentating. Um, and the things he says, like he, he's got such a vested interest in Sam to the point where it's like a father-son relationship. And it's such a lovely thing to watch in that seeing someone of Sean's stature in the sport and what he's achieved, have such a vested interest in watching someone from a countryman trying to do what he did and getting so frustrated. Like, even today, you know, like, he, Sean was sort of berating him in a, in a lovely way, just like, here's what up today. You know, he, he was just, he was pissed off at Sam in a disappointed way because he wants him to do so well. He wants him to win green. And he, I say, what do you think he needs to do? And he said, you know, all he needs to oh, keep plugging away at the points. You know, like, he, he knows... It's just lovely to watch, you know, because there's so many exports, particularly good ones like that, that, that have a tendency to not want to see their countrymen do well or break the records, which I've spoke around in the past. And um, it's lovely. It shows the mark of the man and how modest and nice Sean is. Um, you've done the same thing with, with like, uh, Teo, for example, with the Giro yeah, last year. Yeah, and right? that. You know, I just, yeah. it, you get to a stage where you actually enjoy watching people do well. And even Adam at the moment, you know, it's, um, you know, it's just it's lovely to see, you know, because you know what that feeling is like. And it's like... It's just sport, and you know what it means at the time. It feels b- bigger than it is when you do it. But when people break your records, we spoke in the past to me about Campanarts and... Um, and the hour it, record. Yeah, and people think that you'd actually, always oh, Victor's broke your record, how do you feel? And it's like, great. Yeah. You want the sport to progress and move on. You want people to win races from... Because that's how you did it. And it's just... Um, 
it's reflective of how you are in your own life. If you're happy and if you're bitter and twisted and you don't want to, uh, don't want to see him do well, I think that's quite sad. Crosswinds, we've got to mention those because they played a big part in today's stage, particularly that last 15 kilometres yeah. where we saw we sort of saw two sides to Ineos. So we saw Kwiatkowski drilling it on the front and Bernal was with him and Bernal finished in the in the first group. But we then saw Carapaz lose time as well. And we saw yeah. Castro Viejo drop back yeah, and I mean, try Castro and help him out as well. Just like, everything he does, he's on the limit. And I just think that this isn't his terrain. And I think the absence of Luke Rowe and the importance of Luke Rowe in those roles, he calls the shots. He knows exactly what to do. He's the best in the world at doing it. And I just think they panicked a bit too much. And, and yes, you need to be in the front because of the split. But you don't have to be on the front. Or if you are on the front, as Sean said, the post-show, you have to ride 100%. And I think they just, they went too hard with the likes of Van Baal and Christos. They just put the climbing element to that group on the limit to the point where the split happened, but then they went straight out the back. And then isolated Bernal. Yes, they got him in the front, but Bern there's a better way of doing that, a more calmer way of doing that. And I think they just lack that calm, experienced head in those situations. But they were still there and the main man is still in that position. They just did lose Carapace. And, um, but it, 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 it's, it, it, I suppose it, it boils down to the fact we're seeing a lot of weakness and vulnerability in that Ineos team that we have never seen. They're normally a uniformed march rhythm group of people. We're seeing them sort of dithering a bit at times, making moves when they wouldn't normally. There's, there's an element of panic sometimes and, and we've never seen a, a big guy out the back in between groups with another one dropping back to him. It's all a bit dis, dis, it's all a bit broken and I don't know if that's something to do with it. I, it. It almost feels like they haven't brought a team to the tour for the demands of this first week and I don't know if people expected it to be as hard and challenging this first week as they thought. I almost saw Luke Rowe wasn't there today, which made a big deal. I could have seen Stanard straight into that group there today, you know. Um, but who would you have took out? And But maybe they've selected a team for the latter part of this race, which is, of course, very, very difficult. But it's just, it's not a criticism, it's just an observation. It might not be right, but it's a very different Ineos. It looks, it looks vulnerable at times, which we've never seen with that group. Still early, of course. Oh, look, and, and at the end of the day, it can be as vulnerable as you like. Bernal was probably still going to be the strongest when we hit the mountains. Just for all our Colombian viewers out there. Let's have a, a word on Alaphilippe as well, because we, we saw him in the first group gunning for the, the sprint finish in the end there as well, and yet he didn't even finish in the top 10. No, I mean, he's just going for everything, isn't he, at the moment? I don't know. It can't quite work out why. I mean, I wouldn't have ever thought he was going to win that sprint. I kind of question what his motivation was today. But hey, look, everyone's in the race to try and win the thing. But I, I kind of, I can't imagine he was sat there thinking, I can win this day. He did get a great jump and that, yeah. But he looks like a man. He hasn't missed a beat either, has he? He's always fifth or sixth, well, even when his teammate Bennett's out the well, back. He was, up, he was up there on his own. I know his father died, didn't he? Um, Last June, yeah. And there's, 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 there's a more aggression, there's more aggression about him this year, it seems. Like a more... I'm going for everything about him. And I think that showed today, like, he's up there with team riding the front, Bora riding today, Alaphilippe's just behind us again, first rider, then Jumbo. He's like, he's, and you see him moving up the outside when he's not. He's just, I'm here, and there's like an anger about him. And, I, and we saw what he meant to me on the first day. He's like, I don't know if he's like riding in the, for the, in the spirit of his father, you know, like just like a, 
it, there's a more there's a more of a, a, a aggression and an anger about him this year than the the joyous jumpy fun kid who was there last year. All right, Brad, we'll be back with a little bit more from the Bradley Wiggins show right after this. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. Lacquer has flipped outdated traditional insurance on its head with no more fixed upfront premiums. Instead. Your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Plus, 80% of your money goes straight back into the collective, fixing, replacing, and helping. And the other 20% keeps their wheels spinning. It's as simple as that. And when things go bad, Lacquer's got your back. Claims are handled by experts and usually agreed within a day, with no depreciation or excess. They've ditched annual contracts locking you in. With Lacquer, if you want to leave, you can, anytime. Head over to www.lacquer.co where new customers can get £10 credit by signing up today with the discount code WIGGINS. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show, sponsored by Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. Brad, very different tour between last year and this, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, you've been Brad on a stall during the uh, the Wigo alerts well, on Eurosport, yeah, yeah. as opposed to Brad on a bike. Well, I've sort of come off the stall, sort of prattling about a bit the first few days because I didn't really know. I, I kind of missed the bike, and I, it's, it's took me a few days to sort of find my flow with it in terms of finding the stuff that I could see on the bike that the public wouldn't see and explain that. Um, and like anything, you know, everyone's had a challenge. You know, we've got to adapt to new ways of doing things, and. Um, the last few days I got the pen out and started noticing Kritoski with two fingers out the bags and stuff like that. And so I'm in my flow a bit better and I've got a lot more stuff planned now. I'm starting to, you know, take a bit more ownership of it rather than um, kind of just sort of trying to preempt what the public want. And it's much more reactive like I was doing. But it took me a few days to get going on the bike last year. It was your first time back at the Tour since winning it last year, wasn't it? Was. It? it was, it was, yeah. And it was uh, an amazing experience on the other side of the fence with a different version of me, you know, sort of the cyclist gone and... And I'm sort of mucking in really more than anything with the guys that we were doing, Matt, Pete, and our cameraman who had smelly feet. And um, um, and we used to sort of just all bungle, bundle in the van with all our cases and Matt's Brompton bike, which fell out one day and broke. Um, and it was like a bit of a road trip, you know, and very, very different to the kind of glitzy sky bus, you know, everything done for you. But it was great. You know, it's what it's what the tour's about. And to see it from that side, it was it was a... It was a real privilege. You've obviously had the privilege of being the, the fifth Brit, I think I'm right in saying, wearing the yellow jersey, yeah. taking the yellow jersey. Adam Yates is the ninth. Yeah. Let's just touch on Adam and, and move on so to the ninth, you. Move he? on yeah. to you. He's the ninth, I believe. So yeah. Me, then who was it? So, so Tommy Simpson. Oh, Cav, and then, sorry, I forgot about Cav. Cav yeah, Cav, that day, Cav yeah. wore it in the prologue, yeah. No, you got and it in the sprint, sorry, first, yeah. first sprint, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I forgot Cav. Yeah, um, bloody hell, nine, isn't it? What amazing that is. Um, so how will Adam be feeling after today? Will he have enjoyed it? Because yeah, I don't know with Adam. I mean, them two, I, I always sing their praises because him and Simon, I think part of the reason they're so good, apart from being extreme athletes, they're just good, grounded, come from a great family in Bury. Mum and dad, superb. Just, um, they're just down-to-earth northern lads that work hard, polite. You know, they've got a slight Aussie twang to their interviews now where everything goes up at the end and uh, I think they're going to have a good day tomorrow. And, um, uh, it was super easy, uh, super nervous. They're, they're kind of in that whitey. Everyone's got an O on the end of their name. Whitey, Durbo, Turbo, Wigo. They're just, uh, I, they take everything in their stride or it appears that way. But inside it might feel very different. Only they can say that. But 
And obviously the way he took the yellow jersey is quite different. It was probably a little bit underwhelmed. He had to go up second and all that. But even today I noticed him riding along with um, black helmet, yellow jersey, black shorts, no yellow tape, nothing like that. Um, there was no celebration of having that jersey. Um, pink glasses. You know, is that purposely done by Middleton Scott in that they didn't come with all that sort of stuff? Most teams take the yellow tape, the yellow gloves, all that sort of stuff in case someone... Have they got it? Is it a way of kind of forgetting you've got the jersey and keep racing? Maybe it is. Um, but most people take the jersey. It's like, no. Even if the team want them to, it's like, no, f*** that. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to town with this, so I might only have it for one day. And in some ways, Adam's kind of amplified how underwhelming it is in, in the way he's been interviewed and stuff. But then the way he took it as well, but it just, and the way, just, the way he's wearing pink glasses, it's almost like he's done it purposely to deflect that I've got the jersey, like, you know? It does seem so to be... So he can keep racing in his way. He doesn't, they don't want to ride in defence. Adam doesn't want to start riding defensively and defending because they're attacking riders. And it might be his way of not looking down at the bars and seeing yellow gloves, yellow tape, where he can just continue racing and take that. And that's the sort of thing Whitey would do is like, Mike, just, just pretend you haven't got the jersey. We'll ride in the front, but we're not going to have a big fanfare and all that. And that's quite a hard thing to do, but it's actually quite a genius thing to do if you think about it in that you've got something that's huge in cycling, which goes back to what I was always talking about, about winning one Olympic gold, putting in the draw, winning the second one. Like, it takes the celebration away of having that, but we're here to win stages. And if the GC happens, great. But let's just pretend we haven't got the jersey. Take it. Nothing's changed. Calmness. We'll celebrate it in Paris. we go, we'll really celebrate and that's kind of the way I think White would approach it. But how hard is that? It does seem to be quite light on his shoulders. So will he at any point have done, and, and would you have done it, when you took the yellow, when you took yellow for the first well, time on stage was, seven, would you have looked down during the stage, during an, an, an idle moment, so to speak, and gone, geez, I'm wearing the yellow jersey? Yeah, no, I, I knew what I had on my shoulders and it was great. And I didn't take it for granted for one minute. I mean, the job really started in earnest then that I think I can defend this bloody thing. Um, but... When I took it, I remember doing an interview at the summit. It was like watching Borman take it in 94, watching Yates take it in 94. I knew what I had on my shoulders and, and I felt part of something very, very special in that. Even if I lose this thing tomorrow, I can always say I've held the yellow jersey in the Tour de France. It was that big to me and it was that special. And I, I relished the moment. I had moments to myself the evening we got back to the hotel where I was like laid it on the channel. I was like, I reminded myself and I reflected of like this growing up in a council estate and been battered by my stepfather and all these things it's like you grew up in Kilburn and you're wearing the yellow jersey to the front 19 years on it's like how the have you done that so I keep swearing but it's, it's like that's I still think about that to this day with sort of not disbelief but just like it, the importance of it um, because when I was a kid maybe wrongly you, you imagine people like my heroes like Indrain, Pantani all these people you had to come from warmer climates you had to have a tan you had to come from a culture of cycling and a family that all celebrated your success. Um, I came from a dysfunctional family in a bloody council state with a, a father that had left home that eventually got murdered and and I, and, and I've, I've witnessed murders and stuff that I was ashamed of that somehow just by association I was kind of lived on that state where it happened and, and then I went Yellow jersey in the sort of France, and it was just—I uh, still haven't got my head around the enormity of it in a sport like cycling, which is a minority sport. Until Chris Borman won the Olympic gold in Barcelona, but that was about the bike, not the athlete. Twenty years on from Barcelona to 2012, 
19 years before that, I stood on the Champs-Élysées in Paris on the corner of the Place de la Concorde watching Indurain come over to win his third tour with Bunyan. And I never... As much as I... But that was my dream and I wanted it and I said to everyone, that's what I wanted. I don't think I actually believed. You do at 13, I suppose. But looking back, I almost thought... If that, if that was my son at 13, I'd go, you know what, mate, that's bit beyond you but then is that's achievable now because I've done it and Geraint's done it now but then it was like a Brit who's grown up in Council St Kilburn winning the Tour de France I don't think I've still sunk in all that that part of it Would you have been able to do everything you've done without the adversity that you've faced? Um, that the adversity caused the drive you know without adversity there's no progression ease is the biggest threat to progression and and that's true of any walk of life not just mine, most people, lots of people grow up with adversity and live with adversity as adults. It's what makes you stronger. It's what life's about. It's, it's people can get, I, I'm very fortunate that I don't, I've had, suffered bouts of mental health stuff naturally like most people, but I'm not prone to it as a, as a sufferer of bipolar or something like that. And I'm very grateful for that because I've witnessed it firsthand. It's a, it's a, it's a cruel, is a cruel um, illness that affects so many people that go undiagnosed that has devastating effects on people's lives, including their own. And they get ostracised in society, not knowing why um, their behaviour is the way it is. Um, but it, it's kind of, it's just the road that it's what, how my life mapped out. And it was what gave me the drive to be where I am today in, in an attempt to, I, to make something of my life. And I was always inspired by watching sports events whether it was the FA Cup on the telly on a Saturday, that we you know the build-up, the Barcelona Olympics when Bournemouth won, Linford won there, Sally Gunnell. Four years later, I remember watching at four in the morning, Michael Johnson with that 200 metre, breaking the world record, meeting Frankie Fredericks, you know, Maurice Green. Four years after that, I'm at the f***ing Olympics, winning a medal, going back to Kilburn afterwards, still living with my mum in the council state, walking in back into the, the state with an Olympic tracksuit on and a medal. And then going to Tesco's or something like that, get some bread and milk, and a mate from school's in there working by the cigarette counter. And it's like, oh, right, where have you been? I've just been to the Olympics, mate, you know. Oh, how'd you get on? Well, the actual Olympics, you know, it was like, it was so disproportionate to what people believed they could grow up to be in that area. You know? You're like a different person now. Oh, God, yeah. But it's because of that upbringing and because of that adversity, because I'm self-aware enough to look back and, and deal with trauma and deal with that, realise that my behaviour was the way it was. It's what informed my behaviour as an athlete. So for all the insecurity and the introvertness off the bike, uh, the need to play this character of this, you know, rock star, flamboyant suits, et cetera, et cetera, when I got famous on the bike, I was the best athlete in the world on my day in a time trial and disciplined execution of a ride, holding watts, training. But people, that side got diminished because I amplified the reckless, drunk, wigo, funny, reckless. So people couldn't just saw that side that they could never imagine. But so he actually, this guy who's like falling out of bloody whiskey mist, Park Lane, drunk, in a flash suit, next night playing guitar with Paul. How did he ever manage to hold it together to train enough to win the Olympics? That diminished it, so it's like, he must be that good, he could just get drunk and win the race. Because people start to think that you're that, but it, it, and, but then in the, amplifying that more in the desperation to be different, it was still manifesting the, the, my interest in things I like. It was just to the nth degree that deflected from what I was really good at. So like now, talking like this, people listen, go, bloody hell, he's actually quite, 
that's quite far removed from the bloke stood on stage at Sports Personality going, right, so he's in there doing and all that, you know, and it, it is. But that version of me is like, actually, when I look back, it's like, you poor like, But that was because of my childhood and everything. It's like, I had an insecurity and cycle. It was the only thing that ever gave me confidence. And since I retired, I've reflected and I've changed and become, but you should do it for you. Lots of people do. It's just my life's been documented and I'm sort of under the magnifying glass, whatever I do. We did this show the other week with Manny. Manny sent me a message last week. The Daily Star ran an article on that, uh, that part. I mean, you think of the importance of that podcast and the discussion and the topic of the debate with what happened a few weeks before that, with the Black Lives Matter, the, the positive message that came out of that podcast. The whole story was Wigo piles the weight on. And he's a, f a shadow of his former self eight years ago. It, just negative, personal, putting me down. And the Daily Star, it's like, you've picked out that podcast with someone on it that we're talking about diversity, potential women's continental team, a potential... Pr and you're just talking about me. I'm actually quite buff at the moment. I quite like it. I'm 40. I've got a great hairline and I'm doing well. Do you know what I mean? And it's like the Daily Star. You turn over the next page, I'm bird of a out. It's like, yeah, kind of lost your credibility. Daily Star. off. So Brad, taking yellow, life-changing moment. Fair to say? Was that was that? Well, it's a life-changing moment, but not not realise it at the time because it was a lifetime ambition that I perhaps, in hindsight, looking back, somehow there's a there's a massive contradiction in it. I somehow always believed I would do that, but I now question whether it was like youthful, delusional thoughts, like. I just, I don't know if I was just deluded and wanted to believe that, looking back as myself as an adolescent or as a teenager, just because it gave me some sort of hope that there was something in the future, because otherwise, had I not had that, life was um, And And I, my art teacher, she was an absolute old hag of a woman, and she, um, I was pissing around in art, I was like playing the flute on one of the brushes or something, and um, she, after, she kept me back afterwards, she goes, look Brad, what are you going to do with your life? Like, you can't, you've got GCSEs until you stop. You can't keep pissing around, you know, you need to knuckle down. And I said, I said, I'd, I want to wear the yellow jersey in the Tour de France, I want to win Olympic gold. And I actually said that. I don't just make that up because it sounds good now. And, and she sort of giggled, laughed, like, smiled and went, come on, what, what do you really want to do? And I was like, I didn't know what to say. I think I just said a carpenter or something because there was, there was no, it weren't, no one was aspirational then. Teachers just, fulfilled their duty as teachers without they weren't role models it was just like the kids a little um, let's just do me job and go home other than one teacher Mr Hatch who was brilliant and he went on TV after I won and went on but when I turned professional and I was riding with Francis Dewar Cofidis and all that actually the first is Francis Dewar Credit Agricole not Cofidis but I went back to this sort of timid on the road but I shone on the track because I was like, riding with all my heroes and that, because I, I probably idolised people too much. It's like, didn't, and I don't think at that point I ever really believed I'd ever win the yellow jersey at the Tour But by the time I got to Cofidis in 2007, I won the Dauphiné prologue and all that, it and I got fourth in the prologue in London. It became a, more of a reality. But I wasn't thinking this back then. It's just when I look back on my career. Um, but I, when I turned pro, it was a big shock. And I remember thinking, there's no way you're going to win the Tour of London. There's no way you're going to win. If someone said you're going to win the Tour de France in 10 years' time, I could, no. And that's what it was like. But I always shone on the track. And that gave me the foundations to go, Joe, you've got the energy, but if you could do that, you could transfer it. So I think that was what always brought me back. Had I just ridden the road, I'd have probably got disillusioned with it and retired and not got kind of. 
but by having the track always to fall back on if the road went or whatever I'd go back join the track score for a bit win two world titles win Olympic gold go back to the road it was always like that it was like these and then I got to the point after Beijing it was like I, need, I want to do something else now and Christian Vanderveld had just got fifth in the tour which was watching all the way through camp and JV asked me to come to Garmin and help them strengthen this team time trial squad and I thought I'd love to ride for JV and Dave and all my mates and try and help and then that just went from strength to strength and then but I think even in 2009 it wasn't I never thought fourth would have done me I don't think I'd ever thought about winning the tour but and then but, you were bumped up to third but I knew I could probably take the yellow jersey through hanging on at the start and then get a jersey through the team time trial winning with Garmin or something what do you remember of 2009 and being sort of riding Von 2 with Quite Armstrong my overriding memory of 2009 it was probably the best tour I rode it was the most enjoyable it was the most enjoyable time of my life we were living in Girona the kids were young life was simple I was Olympic champion but I wasn't a new story in the, in the press and I got fourth in the tour and like that would have done me you know it was like um, but inevitably and sadly what came with that fourth was oh yeah but how's he gone for the group to finish fourth in the tour de France what's he up to and even with joining that squad and JV stance on it all and this and there was still that and it, that was the first one I was like well right someone's just pissed all over that you know it's like all those years of wanting to do something doing it and then it's like oh yeah but have you done that you know you must surely it's like, but I'm with JV and that. I thought that this team's going to pave the way for how you know I don't know, but it's odd. It's like, right, so you can't achieve anything in cycling in that area unless you're doing something. And I think that was the first time I thought, well, that's shit, isn't it? And I think like that, I got, had, you, you get used to living like that and it's ingrained and it's just, but we, we were in the worst years, I suppose, you know, Lance coming back um, and then winning the tour on the year after Lance on Oprah. I had to bear the brunt of that as, you know, like, how do you feel? And I, I as, as the tour went, I had to have all the answers. And I was like, I got a clue. I don't, I'm just trying to get out of bed in the morning at the moment, if I'm honest, and get a haircut. Because my hair, if you watch the interviews in that January camp, uh, yeah, massive. And uh, I was in a bad way then. Um, I wouldn't say I was depressed. Or not, just, it was a very low point in my life, you know, trying to deal with what had just happened in the months before. And it got it amplified. And I had some horrific incidents that happened to me in those years at Sky. But, as I say, I always say this, it's not a sob story or anything like that, but life was never the same again after 2012, but just in life in general. And I probably manifested that by amplifying the persona of this person, which was all my interests, which was all my sort of characteristics and fundamental traits of me, still the same person, but just manifested in an introvert, shy, insecure way, which sometimes came out as really articulate and that but mostly in the celebrity eye when there's no racing on have a couple of drinks before and be a bit shocking and funny and feel the need to perform because that's how I got through the school years and it, I look back and it's not, I'm not ashamed of myself I won't betray my former self it's just that's what people go through in life you know we all, if you look at yourself 10 years ago you sort of think oh god uh, you know you think you know it all and I was 32 with two kids but you realise I was 32 as a, an elite athlete who had a desperation to be different. I felt the need to grow sideburns when I went to the tour because I just wanted to be different to everyone else. Not to make a statement, just I want to display my interests by growing sideburns and as a nod to my music heroes because I don't want to be, I don't want to be just associated as one of the, a number of the rest of them. And I always, and I think I don't know where that came from. It, people put it down to oh, he's always got to be something different. It's a bit awkward, and but I don't think it was that. It was just an inner need to be individual. So. 
and that started when I was trying to get out of my flats as a kid. It was like, I don't want to be part of a gang. I don't want to be Hilfring, Stereos, that kind of and it, it was ingrained in me from Dot. It was at this desperation to, don't think I'm one of you lot. And I think it's still carried on now, really. Even into the TV stuff, which was like the bike manifested in such a good way last year. Because it's like, I ain't going to be the polished broker. I'm just going to be honest, passionate about what I do, humble and be grateful and I kept saying that last year I'm grateful it's the best, my best cycling experience but I'm going to be I'm going to take the piss at times but I'm going to give you good info and no one really does that in cycling which is why I loved Sagan's interview today just that little bit of the Emory goes whatever he said because they bleeped it out it's just someone who just comes up in the green jersey I don't know what else to say but cycling can be sometimes you know and I just think yes it can but we'll bleep it out and it's like ooh Sagan there's a pressure for athletes to say the right things your role model you realise you're um you know your your position now as a role. People can look up to you, and is that that's a responsibility? How do you feel about that? People would ask me. I was there. I'm not. I'm not a celebrity, and I will never consider myself one. There's an interview after the Olympics, and I'm just normal. And I think it's wrong that people look up to me. It's don't think I ain't got in my life as well. I might not deal with it in the best way all the time because, if anything, by being honest and showing your vulnerability and talking to people you'd be a role model in that way but mine manifesting like swearing or being contentious for the sake of it and, and, and that's my only criticism of my former self is that it, I didn't, probably didn't do enough with my stages I just pratted about a bit too much under the influence of alcohol not knowing what to do and dithered around really and, and couldn't handle simple situations like falling out with Chris Froome and how to handle that two 30, 30 old men that can't even sit in a room and talk to each other and I, I probably played a bigger part in that in that being a bit petulant and like, you know, shying away from it. And like, and that's quite sad when I look back because we were almost encouraged to be like that. I was encouraged to be like my whole life from parenting as well because you're a cyclist. You don't have to do this. You need to be selfish. Other people do it for you. Just tell them to f*** off. That was the answer to everything. Why? You know, go back and talk. Say, you know. And I've done that with Chris Froome and his, his good lady um, this year and made peace with a lot of people because... I don't want people to think I'm still that person before. It's like, he's a bit prickly, bud, you know, he's a bit a bit sharp, you know, that's where. He's like, no, I'm not. I can't be, if, if you're going to be a prat, I might say, look, piss off. But but I'm not. I'm like, I'm an adult now. And I probably wasn't then, which is quite sad, really. But my God, I was the most level-headed. I could execute five Olympic finals. But that was where I was most comfortable on the bike. Like, I sort of felt like I was born to do that, but off it. And there, there was a, a worry that, my God, people have told me, we worry about you when you were going to stop. Like, what, what, are you, what, what are you going to do? But I probably presented that image that people need to worry about. I was like, I'm actually all right. I know what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to find myself. I don't want people to think for one minute, like, I think I'm the only one and I want a Nobel Peace Prize for it. I might still be a, a prat to some people. It's not that like I'm perfect or anything like that. It's just I'm the best version of myself that I've ever been and I'm, that I can nap in, live with myself each day and walk out of somewhere having dealt with the situation in an adult way and go rise above certain things rather than calling them this, that and the other and, and just feel better about myself. Like sometimes you walk out and think, I wish I'd dealt with that better. Why did I do that? Why don't I just go? Well, I think we all do. Exactly. And this is the thing. It's just somehow, but I've still got a platform, but I'm not going to still play this perception and carry playing this Wigo character. You'll get me now and people change and like the reason I've been all those I've had to live my whole life where I got married in 2004 birthed to my son my wife went through miscarriages and this and the other my dad got murdered in 2008 you know everything's been documented right down to that Manny thing the other week the bloody Wigo poles the weight on he's 40 it's not a crime 
He don't look too bad. Big wet mass. Nipples, I'm talking about. Pete, stop laughing. What advice would you give to Adam Yates now, having just taken hey, yellow? I'm and not, yeah. because, because the peloton and, and the world, in fact, that, that Adam Yates is, uh, is operating in is very different to the world that you are operating in. I, I'm not best placed to give Adam advice. Adam is a fully empowered young man because he's had good parents around him. He's got a great brother. He's different to me. Um, everyone's different. Just good on you, Adam. I think you're, you're a great role model. The way you handle yourself in interviews and that, it's, it's, it's different to how I saw it. And, and that's maybe where my downfall was, is I knew what I was achieving. He's an inspiration and, and, and he's got a lot more to come. And I wish sometimes I could have been more like that and I probably would have achieved a lot more. But he'll be a far better bike rider than I ever was by the time he's retired and achieved more, you know? I like the, um, the sort of illustrative example of before the tour, you had your mates, before the 2012 tour, you had your mates messaging you and saying, good luck. And after the tour, you had... Well, then the whole world comes out. And I, really, I think that was the realisation that how far it had resonated with people. And we didn't realise that being in that bubble. Robbie Fowler, people like... Because I was following them all on Twitter. Joey Barton, Elton John. That was all in September after the tour and the Olympics. It's like... I'm hanging around with Liam Gallagher and people like that. And Bono come up to me and asked me for a photo at the GQ Awards. But, but, but it's like, what, what that contrast. I left on the 1st of July from Wigan, a kid from Kilburn who'd won loads of races in cycling, really well known in cycling circles, relatively unknown outside of that. And I come back and Bono's asked to have a photo with me. And I'm going to Damien, whatever he's called, Damien Lewis's house. And I don't realise the impact at Adam. I get a GQ Lifetime Achievement Award off Liam Gallagher and I'm sat on the table with Dolce and Gabbana in Texas. That Scottish girl that used to think, it was like, and everyone knew me. It was like, yeah, it was weird. I mean, when I look back, it's just like, bloody hell. But I could do no wrong then. And obviously, they got carried away. And then I broke my rib and I come back. And I, I'd had enough for the press by November and they were still on the end of the lane and there's a photo of me driving down the lane doing, pulling the middle finger up. I'd had enough by then and certain parts of the public loved that, but the media sort of hated it. And it just, then it just disintegrated and it was like, but then I wanted to turn it off and I shaved my head, shaved the side. I was like, I, actually, I want to go back to being an athlete now. And but you can't turn it off. But it wasn't, it's never gone off since, you know? Yeah. But hey, look, it's not, I'm not complaining. I wouldn't be the person I'd tell all right. Well, look, Brad, we've got two weeks uh, still to go in this yeah. Tour de France to talk about your time in yellow. Well, it started now, 14 days. Yeah, 14 yeah. days to go. Um, go on, give us a quick line on where's your head at now. If you're, so if you're in yellow and you're, and you're looking to keep it now, if you're, if you're Adam Yates. Oh, do you know what? I think I can only reflect on my time in yellow. And when I took the yellow, I wanted to soak it up that night and realise what I'd got. And I hung it on the chair, went back to my room and just looked at it and thought, woke up in the morning so I could see it. And I wanted to make the most of it that one day, you know, because um, I'd crashed out the year before as well, hadn't I? Um, my mechanic, Diego, was like a brother to me, an Italian guy. He, was, uh, he slept with my bikes in his room. Wouldn't let anyone else touch them. Um, he had sat up all night cutting out yellow vinyl stickers and put them all down the top tube on my original black bike, not the yellow one by that point. And he just decorated the whole bike with yellow, like, like little class Italian bits. And showed me the next day, yellow tape. That was all I had, but... I remember getting out the bus in yellow and I remember feeling a million dollars. I remember thinking like, got a yellow jersey. And I, I enjoyed every bloody moment of it. But then we started and it was, it was quite a hard stage. I think it was the stage Pinot one. 
we up this climb in the final and it was on like Donkey Kong. And then uh, I remember finishing and straight away, that was my day in yellow done. And I forgot I had yellow from that point on because it was a time trial next day and I was straight into time trial mode. But I'm on the ramp in a time trial and Sean Yates on the radio before I rolled down, it made, got me, gave me goosebumps. He goes, you can make history bread. Only the second British rider to win a time trial the Tour de France, but the first in yellow. Go f get them. Catch that Australian because Cadell was in front of me. Yeah. Um, and that's what he said. And it was like, like my hero from when I was 14 who watched it. And I went out and I just marched on that time trial. I remember I saw Cadell towards the end. Of, that's not to be a derogatory to Cadell. I have a lot of admiration. He's a lovely guy. We were, you know, we were rivals that year and he'd won the tour the year before. And I, every day I went out training that winter, I was convinced myself I was robbed the year before. Whether I was or not, I don't know looking back. But that's what, that's what I convinced myself then that if I hadn't crashed out, I'd have probably won it. I don't know if I would have done or not. Who knows? But that's what I went out the door every day thinking, I want to win it this year. So I had Cadell really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you Cadell. That was like a boxer, you know, like I, I focused on him and took it all out on him. Um, not, not personally on that, but it was just like, I suppose I ended up like almost like rubbishing him then, not now. And I can admit this there, no, I'm not ashamedly, this is what drives me. I almost rubbished him to the point of, look at him, like, you know, like, I almost degraded him in my head. I thought, catch you, look at the way you look on a time sort of trial bike. Jordan in the last dance. Yeah, but I don't think that now, I have the utmost respect for him now. But I sort of needed to do that and have that sort of, I keep saying it, but that, that little bit of C word in me, because you have to have that sort of, and I had that that year and that's what made me, I didn't have that the rest of my because that's quite a contrast to when I was turning profit. I, you never get them. I would get out of the way of my heroes. There, it was like, Cadell, worthless, you know, like that kind of, obviously, that's, it, but that's what I needed to drive it. That's comes from insecurity. Like, I'm going to hate you. I'm going to make out your, in my head, that you're nothing. You look like a muppet on a time trial bike, you know, and like, and, and it was just degrade and be derogatory in order to put him down that you're going to stomp on him. That was the air of arrogance and competence. I didn't say that publicly. It was just, but I think other people, lots of elite athletes do that. Well, uh, Brad, we're looking forward to hearing plenty more from you over the next fortnight. Well, that's a bung tidy podcast. You know, I, I think I like talking about it. So if people like it, tell us. All right, Brad, well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Thank you to our sponsor, Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. And Brad, thank you for being so open. Yeah, why wouldn't I be? You say you've got nothing to fear now, nothing to lose. No, I mean, I'm not ashamed of anything. I just like that's your life. Lots of people are in their lives. I just talk about it because I've got a platform. And if I don't talk about it, people are just going to think I'm um, a bit contentious, a bit, a bit of a bit unpredictable, a bit, a bit of a lad. It's like, well, actually, do you know what? Don't underestimate me. All right, Brad, plenty more to talk about over the next couple of weeks of this Tour de France. Looking forward to hearing more from you in tomorrow's episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Thanks to our sponsor, Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. We can follow you at Sir Wigo. Uh, you can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. We should say thank you, too, to our producer, Pete Burton. And finally, from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe share your thoughts and rate us wherever you get your podcasts we'll be back tomorrow for stage 8 of the Tour de France ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 